film is a sort of dreamscape. You get this kind of groundless passion. That's an interesting phrase. Yeah. Good evening. <laughs> Welcome to Five Poems for Toni Morrison. Um, thank you all for coming. So tonight is a gathering of five writers who have wrestled with and lovingly caressed and gazed upon Toni Morrison's work and written pieces in response. Um, you're going to hear from uh, Victoria Aduque Bully. Kareem, yeah, yeah, you can cheer for them, absolutely. Kareem Reed. Leo Hermit. Selena Wulu. Um, and me. Um, and after the performances, the presentations, the readings, um, we're going to have a Q&A uh, with the writers and there'll be a chance for you to ask about the pieces and join the conversation yourselves. Um, we really hope that you hear the writers' voices in these pieces, but also Toni Morrison's echoes. So thank you so much. This doesn't have a title at the moment, so we'll see how it changes over time. One. I open the book, I close it, changed, a little more me. I open the book, I close it again, changed. I open the book and grieving, leave it there, Christmas, the wrong time of year to live in beloved, Three years pass, I open the book, I soundless wail, close it, final, a little more me and gratitude. I watch you and open the book to, quote, girl, I got my mind and what goes on in it, which is to say, I got me. In quiet moments, in loud times, it is important to know what one's own voice sounds like so that it does not startle you. In quiet moments, with its hunger and its haunts, it is important to call it by its true name, a name beyond language, even past song, but a name nonetheless with its own key signature, its own shade of light, it is, it is, do you hear me? It is important to know what it sounds like in loud times, in quiet moments, so as to know upon listening when the voice you hear is not yours. Three. You look at Charlie Rose, your eyes cross-hairing him, and you say, and you say slowly, if you can only be tall because somebody's on their knees, then you have a serious problem. And my feeling is white people have a very, very serious problem and they should start thinking about what they can do about it. Take me out of it. So I take you out of it and fix you here, outliving yourself, outlasting, alive in the vision I most love, 
in monochrome in the center page of your life, almost halfway through exactly. No Pulitzer yet, no Nobel, a day job and two kids alone. Tuesday night in New York City. Things such as these can be known by me without time travel, but not what song was playing then. What is the sound, or was it the sound, of glass breaking? Spirit in waterfall from the bar, feeding spirits amidst feet below. Or was it, or was it Eddie moaning, baby? Girl, you need a change of mind, like any young James L. Jones-looking brother, ready to make spilt milk of a girl's life, light work. There are questions that need answers, and those too that answer themselves, which is to say it was the birth of disco then, though which song it crowned to is debatable, even now, which is to grin inwardly and affirm at absolute least that no song would ever have moved you so that did not between notes sing aren't we the most brilliant people ever to have walked this earth let alone danced upon it which is to clarify that you are dancing in this photo not because that's news to you but because you were raised to the breakbeat of that knowing, the thought of which, the sight of you here, brings me always home to myself as you have walked me untold times, which means to fathom that you are both elsewhere and everywhere now, and nobody but nobody who was not there with you on the dance floor can say with eyes that glaze as they do so, what it sounded like the night of March 5th, 1974, as you threw your best arm skyward, your afro loose and still unlocked, your full woman body in a sweat-licked noodle strap dress, braless and beatified somewhere between Song of Solomon and Sula. Thank you. Tony Morrison, Inside Laughter. In Tony Morrison's jazz, laughter is serious, more complicated, more serious than tears. Jazz's narrator describes people who, when they spoke, regardless of the accent, treated language like the same intricate, malleable toy designed for their play. A playful erosion of languages borders evidence that we are contradictory, evasive, independent, liquid. It's spring, summer, 1992, either May or June. Miss Morrison is here at the ICA. I hear the smile creeping into her voice as she delineates the strong sense of belonging to this group that was denied entrance observing a kind of luxury in one's life. Not the luxury of things, but the luxury of language and views and interpretations. The snatch of freedom, 
the possession of one's body, the ways we inhabited the world. This language that drinks blood is reformulated in Morrison's hands as new combinations, invented words that capture specifically black scenarios, beloveds cry, laugh, and sister girl, paradise, baby girl dreams, jazz, little bitty life. Official language does not account for laughter as punctuation, laughing as speech. Orthography and linguistic study cannot account for the contours of my mother's voice, the lilting rise of each concerned vowel on her or her deepened lower tonalities when she is tired. In Paradise, a character named Connie, laughing, tells us scary things not always outside. Most scary things is inside. An incensed deacon confronts his congregation, asking, what have you given up to live here? In exchange for survival, the flesh carries the text of communal violence. The biology of our emotions tells us a bone-rattling laugh can lead to crying, cry-laughing. When speech and language fails us, where everything has been pulled inside out, there is another way of telling an unbearable truth of another world inside this world. Sounds like Rainbow Boa. Despite requiring very specific humidity and heat, this species is commonly found in the pet trade. During the 1980s and early 90s, substantial numbers were exported from Suriname. Today, however, far fewer are exported. And most offered for sale are captive bred. Due to their need for high humidity in a captive environment, they should be considered of intermediate difficulty for snake owners. But as long as that is provided, they can thrive in captivity. Younger species will often bite because of natural defensive instincts, but tend to calm down as they become used to handling. Here lies a quote from Wiki. I laugh because despite the similarities, I have to imagine our bodies are free and that they are entangled in unwitting choice. Look on the, look on the horizon, look on the runway. A queen highway, I exit. I exit the page. Red man for bun to a new jazz and I keep it moving. Um, so this is called Chords That Cannot Be Broken, and I start with a song that I may need you to help me with. I don't know if people know the song Bind Us Together. Eerily quiet, that's not very reassuring, so I guess I'm by myself. <laughs> Great. <laughs> if you do know, please feel free to join in. 
Bind us together, Lord, bind us together with cords that cannot be broken. Bind us together, Lord, bind us together, bind us together with love. Thank you. I'm forever grateful for the company of black women and our ability to dance surrounded by flames. How at home I feel in the company of our laughter, succulent and wild. It is on an evening like this, happy drunk, that someone in jest spontaneously starts to sing, bind us together, Lord. And without hesitation, the rest of us rise to our feet, all singing in unison by the second line. What a gift it is to be your own church, an everlasting congregation, ready to give thanks for the miracle of our being, a harmony of voices, filling the room with bind us together, Lord, bind us together, children of the faithful, of parents traveling oceans, clinging to the cross for protection, and our tongues now an heirloom, carrying the continuum of time. Sunday school ritual, greased hair and freshly ironed clothes buttoned too tight. Later for some, the questioning, stepping out of holy light, the unsung tune of what belief remains now the worship we have long since buried. But what else is blackness but a chorus of both praise and grief in one note? I bring my mother to the song, the way she sings hymns like this one loudly, a lifeline, prayer for better times than these. I sing her faith into the melody, weave her trust into the chords that cannot be broken, and I pass it along. This poem is after Tony and Zora and Andros and Rowdy. Here in this here place, here in this fear place, here in this here place, here in this, here in this here place, here in this fear place, here in this here place, here in this here, in this fear place, they do not love your hands. Here, in this fear place, we sneak whispers in bathrooms like cheat day candy. Cry into tissues bald like fists. Reach for each other with across the room eyes. Afraid to be seen, fraternizing with the skin folk. Mistaken for family, though nepotism is unavailable. 
Nine to five, they use your hands. Five to nine, you gotta love them. Nine to five, they use your hands. Five to nine, rub Vaseline in the wound. Nine to five, they use your hands. Five to nine, cook parsnips, fry plantain. Nine to five, they use your hands. Five to nine, write one true note. Nine to five, carpal tunnel. Copyright, curate, contracts, lunch break, petit marinage. Five to nine, massage, Millie Rock, meat, masturbate, marijuana. Here in this fear place, they would put your insides through a shredder. Here in this fear place, they would sell your gender on the auction block. Here, when thrown against gallery walls. Here, on the master's clock, are names that need to be savored in the mouth. Thoughts that need to stretch their legs. Sighs and laughs that need to bubble up and break the surface. Breaths caught in bramble. Here in this fear place, sometimes a sister comes along and makes you feel alive again. Then here is a human being Backs that need support, feet that need to dance. Backs that need support, feet that need to dance. Backs that need support, feet that need to dance. An unnoosed neck. All right. Thank you all. That was beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, so my main question is, what was everyone's journey to this stage tonight? Um, we presented you with quite a broad brief respond to Toni Morrison's work. What was your journey to writing the piece that you presented today? Um, so, uh, yeah, it was very broad, and uh, I uh, was speaking to a friend in Sheffield um, who was happening to be uh, chairing 
um, the screening of pieces of me and uh, a workshop around it. So I was chatting to her just for her reflections. And that was really helpful just to get kind of certain things going. And she said, just watch the trailer um, as well. So it give you an idea of, of, of the documentary. And there's something that she said, which was kind of the hook for me, which um, I'll read out. She said, navigating a white male world was not threatening. It wasn't even interesting. I was, more interest, I, was, I was more interesting than they were, and I wasn't afraid to show it. And so, and so for me, um, it, it became, the commission then became an invitation to that. Um, and um, permission. And I think that's something I've tried to do in my work anyway. Um, but inevitably, when you're talking about race, when you're talking about oppression, whiteness has a role, obviously, a fundamental role to that. And so I think often many of us, myself included, can create work from that space, um, which is necessary, but also our world um, is, you know, interesting and nourishing um, and uh, fascinating. And so I wanted to use this opportunity to explore my world um, without, without apology. Mm. Amazing. Anyone else? I'm going to start picking on people now. <laughs> um, I, I think what I found quite interesting is that my, and this always happens, but like my poems tend to come out backwards. So mm. I end up having the, the ending first and I have to sort of find my way to that point. Um, and sometimes that works and sometimes that doesn't um, because it's also healthy if it's organic and rather yeah. than aiming at something. But um, so that was the case with this. And my poem is based around this image of Toni Morrison that I think is quite well known now where she's dancing. And it's like, uh, I don't know, it just, gives me such a feeling of joy to look at her like that. Mm -hmm. um, so I began to find out more about the image and who took it. I forgot the name of the guy, but where it was taken, when it was taken. Um, and I was quite fascinated to think that she, that photo was taken only when she was two books in. Mm -hmm. And while she was still working full time mm -hmm. as a single mother, and she hadn't won any big awards yet. Um, she'd written The Bluest Eye and Sula. Um, of course, The Bluest Eye went on to be banned, left, right, and center. Mm. So she wasn't even Toni Morrison yet. Right. She was, but she wasn't. Um, so I was interested in that, but the first part of the poem, which is really the last part that came to me, um, is just my feeling of what it was like to read Beloved and how I, I actually found it so heavy that I stopped for three years. Yeah. Um, and came back to it and then was glad that I stopped mm. and had that time. Um, and then the second part, there's three parts, the second part is about the sense of what I get from watching her. Mm. So not so much her books, but how she comes across in person, in interviews, mm -hmm. and how my biggest takeaway from her is, is she is someone who protected her interior life so fiercely. Mm -hmm. um, and without that, I don't think she would have been able to write the books that she wrote. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, yeah, I, the main word that I had was interiority. So I was thinking a lot about privacy and secrecy and the, the public self and the spaces that kind of get lost or don't get seen in between speech and writing, like the actual printed word. So I was just really interested in like what happens between that, between those moments of recording something. And I transcribe a lot sometimes for a lot of things that I do. And there's laughter that punctuates a lot of the things. Mm -hmm. And I noticed I, I, quite late in the, in the process of finishing the piece, which I still don't think is still ongoing, but um, getting it prepared for tonight was understand like paying more attention to those in-between moments of laughter or parts how just paying attention to how black people speak to each other mm. and how laughter is a huge such a big part of how we communicate with each other um and she also again like in her public life she's in interviews and speeches she's 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 very easy it's, laughter comes very easily to her, and she's often saying something really profound and and profoundly simple, right? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I think for me, I wanted to focus on I, laughter. Kind of was the, the the thread that brought me into the detail of the piece, like made me made gave it gave it its shape. Um, yeah, I was just, I thought, and also I thought, what a nice thing to, to share and to yeah. focus on and to read um, something that was about, not a sound, rather, something that was about a sound that you make with your body mm. um, that's quite visceral. You feel, you, when you laugh, it, it hurts sometimes, or you can laugh until you can't tell if you're crying or not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm really interested in, in those kind of, uh, those kind of confusing emotional reactions that we have when we deal with things, when we deal with very difficult, heavy, serious things. Mm. Thanks. I think, um, yes, yeah, similarly, um, my poems tend to capture moments um, and what you were describing about emotion and what happens when um, that is brought up, but the way the body reacts is not easily, I don't know, described by, not everyone can describe what's going on in the ways that some, some can. Um, but the poem that I read today was, uh, sometimes I want things to be quite loose or I have events that happen in the day and it's like, how can I get this across to someone without rambling in, in a hilarious way? And... I feel like the, what I read was something that I came across about the rainbow boa, but the description of the creature's life was metaphorically and sadly quite apparent to the way that bodies were treated within the, the LGBTQ community. And I was kind of focusing on this, um, like some of us are almost like dancing in the dark, and it goes back to like uh, the way Tony uses uh, language to shine a light and stuff that happens in quite dark places within our communities. And um, 
in a literary context as well, the acrobatics of whiteness, and we see it, but we don't always express it in the moment or at, at that time. Mm -hmm. And so our time is then punctured and we're relaying stuff back to each other, but it's not from that, the same period. It didn't even happen to you or, you know, we're relaying back the experiences and traumas back to each other. But the poem, what I read tonight, is kind of this jarring thing of seeing stuff within our everyday. So I'm just on the internet, geeking out about snakes. <laughs> and then the rainbow boa comes up and I'm like, oh my God, this is too close to home. Am I, <laughs> why am I reading into everything? And it was just a, a playful thing, but kind of hit home as well about the um, like mental slavery, really, and the captivity that we can often find ourselves in. And then it's like to remember that we are free. So, well, not all of us are, and that's a part of it as well. So it was the process of that, mm -hmm. and I hope it captured some of it. Yeah, amazing. In my case, I read Beloved for the first time in the process of planning this uh, program. And um, as I was thinking about how to approach writing a poem or, or a piece in response, I was just kind of looking out for things that might strike me in the novel. And um, for those of you who've read Beloved, you might remember this, the scene where Sethi uh, or Setha um, calls everyone into the clearing and holds church, essentially. And I just thought, this is it. This is what it's all about. Um, there was just something for me in, in that scene about valuing yourself um, and holding a part of the body that has to labor for other people um, involuntarily, voluntarily, different degrees of that, um, loving that body. Um, and I really felt that that scene contained everything that I needed. I didn't actually have to write the piece. Um, I just felt this urge to amplify it and to almost remix what was already there. I just wanted to draw attention to that scene. And I kind of had, I did have an encounter with Tony as I was writing uh, the piece. That line about brambles was not always there. Um, and so there was this one morning, I was on my way into the office and um, revising that line and thinking, trying to capture what I would later describe as, you know, breath being caught in brambles. And I thought of the word bramble and I thought, hmm, is that really what I want to say? Let me go and like Google the definition of bramble and like uh, think about what the texture of brambles really indicates, like peak poet things, right? Like, <laughs> like obsessing over this word. And I remember I was like coming out of the tube and didn't get great service, um, so I couldn't um, pull up this definition. And I'd been reading Beloved as well. Um, and so I changed trains and just put my phone away, gave up on Google, and continued reading Beloved. And it was like in the next paragraph that I read was a sentence about brambles. And I thought, okay, Tony. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was such, it was such a, it was such a, like, it was something a, one writer would say to another, you know what I mean? Um, she was like saying to me, like, forget about your Google, put your Google away, I got your brambles for you, you know what I mean? And so I just felt so grateful that she kind of saw what I was doing. Um, and yeah, uh, the movement as well in the, in the scene, um, I thought I want to show that as well, and that 
that possibility to write without words was really interesting to me. And I say the poems after a couple of contemporary dancers that I really admire, whose work I've been really immersed in here at the, here at the ICA, um, Andresons, Brown, and Rowdy SS. Um, it kind of became a way to respond to their work as well. So typical Tony, like bringing all these different writers and artists together. Uh, yeah, thank you for your poems. Um, I'm working on a script at the moment that's very black. And then a producer sent it back to me this morning and, and he was like, oh, I don't think I'm the producer for this. It opened with 15 different people talking, but it was like a space full of Jamaican people. And that's what it's like. You hear voices and... I want to know about this place that you guys write from where you know that it's personal, but wanting to get that element of Tony Morrison into your work where I do not have to explain it to a white person. Like, I really, really don't want to explain to you what's going on, but the sad case is that we need their money to get stuff done. Po film is not a shit. Someone told me I picked the most expensive art form to express myself. And it was an accident, but it's a thing now about how do you navigate that place of wanting to get things done, but the infrastructure, because that's very much what Toni Morrison's work and life was about. How do you navigate space while still being yourself? And a new level, it's a new devil. Mm -hmm. Like, I've worked with some people, like, oddly enough, Boris Johnson's brother-in-law used to mentor me. And he offered me, I asked him for 300,000 pounds to make my first film, and he offers me $5 million and said, the year Moonlight came out and said, I'll give you $5 million as long as you don't put black people in your film. They don't sell well. And I, I sent wow. him a message. I'm like, mate, what are you talking about? He blocks me. Mm. But this is the circle jerk of British, the high end of these people. Like, I'm having issues with the home office at the moment. Boris Johnson's sister-in-law is writing about Jamaicans being deported and making money out of it. And you're just like, where do you get to this equilibrium where we can navigate and tell our own stories without having to go to these very, very, to put it mildly, disturbing people? Mm -hmm. So that's my question. It's the eternal question, yeah. <laughs> I'd just say um, that you've just done it. I think there are other uh, ways that we share our stories and it simply happens with speaking up sometimes. And like, in, I think there are many people in this room that did not know what you shared with us. Um, also resources, like we have access to, one of my favorite movies, Tangerine, was made on a mobile phone. Mm. Um, get stuff on YouTube. It depends on what the goal is. And I think for sharing stories, we live in an age where we can just get stuff out. I know when you're talking about um, money on the table, do you know what I mean? So we can live healthy and good lives. But I think that's also included in this journey. The world that you describe is brutal. It's so brutal. And they make huge profits of our stories without paying. Mm. It's involved in the algorithms of the apps that we use. And it's about becoming the designers of our own lives. Like, really tapping into the architecture of what they've, what, what they've done. But I think a lot of us understand this system way too well. Like, we're, we're, we're actually out of it. We're actually surpass it. And a lot of the behavior is habitual. Um, but just with what you've shared, that's a story in itself. 
and there were other forms to get things out. The way that I've had to express, not even express myself actually, just be who I am. I realized I was just fighting to be who I am and when I came out of that, I was like really shocked at the fact that I'd almost been shut out of the black struggle. And it's like, no, I was never, I was never shut out. I've always been doing everything as one. You know, like um, in terms of class, sexuality, gender, blackness, all of these, the, the intersectionality of all that for me is normal. And I think if you're, you want to inspire people, you want to share your story, a lot of us are actually trying to be free. Um, just be yourself and like trust those guides as well like, that have gotten you to this point. Often other people help and guide you as well, but you trust yourself, you're already very talented. Not everyone in the room is. I feel everyone's just born with, I'm gonna stop talking. <laughs> um, also what you shared is wild. Yeah. I know, right, there's so <laughs> much to, there is, that's what I mean, we've got the best stories. I think a lot of what blocks is fear. And then when you, you realize there's no one to be really afraid of, boogie man. When you get to a certain point, you realize that's what makes, I feel very lucky about that. There's no one shooting at my gaff. Seriously, it's very real. So, yeah. Mm. Sorry, firstly, because I think it's, it's important to acknowledge the grief that comes with that. I mean, that's in its essence, like dehumanizing and, and painful as a creative to be in that situation. I think I just really want to echo that now we're, you know, in a time more than ever where we can be creating our own media and, you know, I think there's something we were just talking about this before to kind of be done about creating our own networks um, and being able to kind of mobilise in, in that way because I think it really does depend on what your, what your version of success is and if it is this mainstream Hollywood version then... I have nothing to say to you, I'm sorry. Because the rules keep on changing because they're not meant for us. So, you know, it doesn't feel like that's a game that, you know, many of us can play and win. So I would reframe what your version of success is and who you're, who you're creating work for and speak to, to those people and make work with those people because, yeah... Um, you know, it, sometimes it, it feels like it doesn't matter what it's about, really, what the work is about. It's about um, access. And I think down those kind of well-trodden like, avenues, often, you know, it's a closed door, but for one. Um, so, yeah, maybe look in a different direction, because if you keep on thinking, you know, it's this question of whiteness, and if you keep on thinking what will work for that, you know, uh, Boris Johnson's brother-in-law, then you've already lost, and you've already, you're already creating work that is outside of your vision. So is it work that you would want to be doing anyway? And you have to start with your values and work from there. Yeah. Any thoughts? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I was looking at a lot of um, interviews that Toni Morrison was, has done, and a very recent one between uh, Farrah, Farrah Jasmine Griffin and her for Essence magazine. And she, she, uh, the question was, how do you maintain integrity when your, your public self looms so large? And I think it's relevant 
um, indirectly to your your predicament where she simply just said, I don't trust the public self. So I think continuing from what I said about like interiority and privacy and secrecy is some of the things that you want to share doesn't have to be, it can be a secret, it can be kept to yourself and within your community. Like it doesn't have to, some work doesn't, some things don't have to be uh, publicized or exposed or visible in, in, in a particular way. Um, like f for me, I've been questioning a lot about archives and a lot of the things that seem to be um, popular or, or greenlit is the word, I guess, in the film industry, is are things that, you know, it's always about presenting something as new, um, when I think maybe the things that, quote unquote, have not been seen before, maybe should stay that way. Like maybe some things, maybe some things aren't um, documentable or recordable or sellable or pitchable. And I think, yeah, part of it is just, yeah, don't trust. If, if, if your job requires you to be public and to make some things visible, then I, I, would, I would think about what you will and won't accept for yourself and what kind of, the word is strategy, I think. Just strategize about what you think should and shouldn't remain off the table. I've been thinking about this essay that Toni Morrison wrote called, um, Nadia, remind me, Rootedness, Rootedness Search, of the An Search for the Ancestor, where she talks about um, the fact that in black literature, there was, a mo there was a period where a black writer could be both individual and representative or tribal, as she puts it. Um, and she talks about how that kind of translated in her writing, uh, into her writing um, in the form of a desire to capture a kind of black approach to um, storytelling. So she kind of tried to um, capture oral forms of storytelling in her written literature. Um, and for me, that has to do with an idea of encoding. So you know, a non-black reader or a white reader might appreciate Toni Morrison's literature without picking up on that oral quality, but a black reader might pick up on um, that quality that's encoded in the work. And so I think there is a way of, you know, creating the, first telling the story you wanna tell um, and, uh, making it so that a white audience understands it or um, it finds it marketable, but also keeping something, hiding something in the work for, for yourself and for us. Hello, thank you for sharing. Well done everybody, it was really, really good, thank you. Um, just some actionable steps for the filmmaker. Contact BFI Network, you might have already, but I'm just trying. Um, BAFTA, contact them. Also, maybe your script could work as a play. Maybe find other formats, or just actually use her life as a roadmap. She was a single mother, had a full-time job. She did what she could until she got there. 
Um, but yeah, I'll speak to you afterwards. Amazing. Do we have one more question? I was just wondering, uh, because I've only very recently started trying to read um, Toni Morrison's work, what would you say would be a good starting point for someone who has heard of her legacy but hasn't sat down to actually read one of her poems or essays or see her interviews, etc.? Um, I would just say start at the start. Um, I would definitely say start at the start. So the first one I read was Song of Solomon. That was about nearly 10 years ago now. And I only read The Bluest Eye this year. And The Bluest Eye is her first book. And it's the book that she, in interviews, has said she's least proud of. Mm. But when you open it, from the first page, you're going to be shocked. Like, it doesn't look like the rest of her work. It literally doesn't. Like, even the, the way it's typeset on the page, it's, it's different. It's not justified. It's, like, halfway across the page, and then there's, like, a, a stream of consciousness thing at the beginning. So I'd start there and then just work through, because I think what we don't have right now in this current age is the experience of reading each thing in real time as it comes out, as it gets released. And I actually am quite envious of like what that might have been like mm. to just read them as they came out, as they got banned, as they won prizes. Uh, mm. Yes, yeah, so I think you should just start from, from the first one. Yeah. Um, I'll just say to, I would just urge you and everyone really to remember that um, Toni Morrison wrote um, novels, but also was an essayist, um, wrote nonfiction, wrote criticism, um, wrote poetry. Uh, this convening was inspired by a collection of poems called Five Poems that she wrote. Um, and so that said, I would recommend perhaps starting with a, a short nonfiction book she wrote called Playing in the Dark, Whiteness and the Literary Imagination. Um, which is so useful, whether you're a literary scholar or whether you're just trying to think about how whiteness operates. I mean, I've realized, I've read kind of the dynamics she exposes in that book um, in so many situations in life <laughs> since reading it. So, um, so yeah, I, I very much agree. Um, try to... Uh, grasp what you can of the experience of reading her books as, as they came out originally, but also, yeah, look beyond the novels as well. There's a lot, there's a lot out there. And on that note, um, I want to thank the poets again. Will you all help me? <laughs>